українське незалежне радіо. Today on Ukraine Watch, I'm speaking with Hans Peter Midtun, a retired officer in the Royal Norwegian Navy and a former Norwegian defense attaché in Ukraine. He is currently a non-resident fellow at the Center of Defense Strategies. He's also with the Ukrainian Institute for Security and Law of the Sea. Hans, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for having me, Dan. So there's a great deal of fear these days that Russia will launch a large-scale escalation of its ongoing war in Ukraine. What's your assessment of what's likely to happen? Well, first of all, I have to take you back uh, eight years because it's, it's crucial to understanding what's happening today. Um, 2014, I think the international community was really concerned about the possibility of a full-scale Russian aggression. It didn't happen. But for eight years, there still has been a war going on in Ukraine. Um, sitting down and trying to, to find out what happened in, in spring of 14 until today, uh, some of us ended up concluding that this is a sort of a hybrid war ongoing for these eight years. And more than 15,000 casualties or killed in action, there's more than 30,000 wounded in action. Uh, civilians, both civilians and, and soldiers. Um, uh, and it's a conflict based on a parallel and synchronized use of both military and non-military means. The reason for, for pointing this out is being concerned in spring of 14. When I left my post in 18 and argued that, that four years later the, the threat had increased. And, and four years later still, it has increased even more. The reason for that is this um, buildup of Russian forces along the Ukrainian borders has been ongoing for eight years. It's been a constant process in parallel with the uh, Russian um, reform of its armed forces. It's um, comp you know, building on lessons learned from, from operations, both in Ukraine and Syria, if you like. Um, uh, 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 and and uh, we just see what we've seen recently is just um, uh, escalation to a process which has, as I said, been uh, on the way for quite a while. I'm not surprised, and that goes to your question. I'm not surprised that we are where we are today because Russia has been pushing the challenging the international uh, law for quite a while, and we have not responded um, resolutely. Uh, I would even say we have not done anything which would have surprised Russia from the very start. So what will happen? There's a lot of fear of a full-scale invasion, and that is, of course, on the table. The, I think the intelligence which the um, United States and its allies have presented to the international audience is solid. The problem is, with the, with the intelligence, is it does not... It just only gives an indication of intent. Uh, and and I, I would argue there's a lot of arguments against a full-scale invasion. It's on the table, but less likely. Um, I have another different um, scenario on my mind based on my, my sort of um, the development of the hybrid war concept. Um, what is this? Well, I, I would argue... Bearing in mind that 
the hybrid war concept for eight years, I've tried to avoid a conflict, outright conflict with the West. Is I also try to avoid having the West um, get truly engaged in Ukraine, or, you know, engaged in the sense of providing real um, defensive support, lethal weapons, and that kind of support. Um, there's also been using the last eight years building a case. The case is something we could find um, from previous uh, Russian military in, uh, interventions in, in Georgia for the first place, also Crimea and elsewhere, where they based their operation on, uh, they legitimized their intervention based on the need, the, the, the responsibility to protect uh, mode, if you like, the UN, char UN uh, uh, charter. Uh, the same basic NATO has used during operations in both uh, Bosnia Herzegovina, Kosovo, Libya, and so more. And, and, and more. They uh, they've uh, created the crisis. They have changed their legislation to support you know our, our intervention. They build a their military doctrine around it. They reformed the armed forces to be able to do our intervention, and and they have recently been building their narrative to support our future uh, humanitarian intervention. I think that will happen in, in Donbass. Uh, it could be, of course, elsewhere, but I, I think it would, they will limit themselves to Donbass because it serves the hybrid war. And that goes back to my arguments why it's, I, don't, I don't think we'll see a, 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 a more full-scale in, innovation. That's a long answer to your question. No, I appreciate <laughs> your insights. Um, does Russia even have sufficient forces to occupy the entirety of Ukraine? And that's you know that's what I laid out in one one of my recent uh, articles. I said there's there's basically six arguments against a full scale invasion. One is exactly as you question: Do they have sufficient forces? Well, in the sense of a shock and awe operation, like we saw in Iraq 2003, the American uh, 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 force or the the Americans and allies. Um, well, you find that the force composition is about right. Um, Ukrainian armed forces still have critical vulnerabilities. They're strong in the land forces, but they're weak in air defense uh, and navy, if you like. So, so the ability to do an invasion is absolutely in place. Uh, and, and Ukraine is in a critical uh, place. However, the one thing which stopped Russia in 2014 when Ukraine had only could muster about six, six and a half thousand soldiers, was not the armed forces as such. It's the, deter the true deterrent in Ukraine is the will to fight. They have a proud history of, of a partisan, and as shown uh, Second World War and beyond, you know, until 1954, I believe. Also, they've shown that from 14, how they triggered civil society. And, you know, they created about close to 70 volunteer battalions to stop this incursion in the East. So, no, they have enough forces to invade, but they do not have enough forces to occupy. Um, that said, if they were to occupy, you know, we know from our own uh, experience that you need to rotate forces in and out of the theatre. You need to give them rest. You need to do another training cycle. So you have to multiply that forces by three events. So I would say 
they need four to 500,000 soldiers to occupy the country effectively. But then again, multiply that by three just to maintain that uh, occupation over time. That would break the back of the Russian forces. And it will be, they will do this operation on at the cost of security elsewhere in the Russian Federation. Just two of the six arguments against it. <laughs> so, so what do you see as Vladimir Putin's ultimate goal in Ukraine? If it's maintaining sort of a hybrid war or keeping pressure on Ukraine, what goals is he trying to accomplish by doing that? I think it's crucial that we and we have to be recognized that Ukraine, though essential to to Russian grand strategy, if you like, is only still one object of of many objectives. Um, Russia is is promoting uh, itself as a as a great power again, on the same you know basic as China and United States. Um, in order to do that. Um, they need to build uh, 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 the demography for the future to achieve that aim. It's not only about yeah, their present military power and their ability to, to uh, um, inflict da- damage, but also the ab- ability to maintain, maintain that in the future. Um, all pred- um, prediction on, on the demography of Russia is, even on the most positive ones, shows a, a, a negative development. They need the population of Belarus and Ukraine to achieve that great power status. Um, but that great power status is to project power uh, in, in, towards the West and Europe in, in particular. So if, in order to achieve this, you know, again, it goes to my argument against the, uh, the full-scale invasion. Mm-hmm. You need to build the fundament for peace or, you know, a better peace you know, on completion of this conflict, the hybrid war, if you like. So doing a full-scale invasion will cause massive destruction and, and casualties. You know, even the most uh, conservative estimates says about 25 to 50,000 casualties in civilian uh, society, not counting soldiers and, and similar. Um, hybrid war, in a sense, low intensity, using a non-military means to destabilize Ukraine from within. And over time, not tomorrow, not next year, but over time, creating the condition for having Ukraine want to return to the Russian world. And I have to say this, in great respect to my Ukrainian friends, I find that difficult. Even I find that difficult to, to, to see that happens. But this goes, again, to the hybrid element of it. It's not only about what Ukraine wants, it's also about how the West receives Ukraine. No, we do not have not opened the door for NATO membership. The door for European Union membership still is also you know, barely open. So over time, um, I think the West have a tremendous say in how the common Ukrainians, most Ukrainians see the, uh, the, the future. Because if there's no support in, in the West, you know, the only way to stop the conflict is you know, to return back to Russia and say, okay, we, we adapt in the long term. Do you see in that scenario, and that's sort of, in my view, it seems like a worst case scenario. If, if that strategy over time were to succeed, how do you see that affecting the security of 
the rest of Europe or maybe even the West more broadly? I think it's uh, actually probably one of my most important reports I ever wrote. You know, when you, when you work in, a debunk, in the international community in Ukraine, you get a clear sense that every nation acts according to their own national interest. Hmm. Most of the time, national interest is something positive. It's an economic cooperation. It's, it's about shared culture, history, and, and, you know, something beneficial for both parties, if like. Um, but there's also a negative side to this. And that is, as you are referring to, what is the consequences of a Russian victory or a Ukrainian defeat, if you like. And, and in my mind, that's it, 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 extremely destructive to European security. Because there's two scenarios to this. One is, of course, if the worst comes to the worst, you have a full-scale invasion and you have a full war in, in, in Ukraine, bordering NATO, that will have ramification for, 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 for European, European security, both in the sense of destabilized country, the spillover effect of a, of a conflict, but also on economical and, and humanitarian consequences. You will have um, mass uh, immigration from, uh, from, uh, from uh, Ukraine. You see, even on rumors of a conflict, you see the uh, stock market, finance market responding negatively. You see the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the uh, possibility of energy crisis because of how we act or the war, or, or the war itself, you know, inflicting or, or damage to the gas pipelines. And then, of course, you have the, the second scenario, which is uh, you know, like a political surrender, if you like, and Ukraine turning back to Russia. And, that, that, that will not, that will create that um, scenario which Russia has been claiming falsely is taking place in Ukraine already, this civil war sort of narrative. Ukraine society will not res- would respond strongly on our, 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 our political surrender. And uh, you would probably see our, 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 our civil war. And the consequence, again, will be very much the same as the previous scenario. So either way, you will not have peace in Europe. And the economic, you know, the fact that Russia is challenging the international laws, which creates the basis for our own stability and peace and progress, you know, these things being put aside will have tremendous impact on all of us. I've been arguing in my own audience at home that, you know, because we have always had, our, you know, pretty Good cooperation with Russia. You know, Russia is always is among many been perceived as you know cooperative and, and uh, even friendly, if you like. I'm arguing that there's only one Russia, and and we're not judged by what we say, but what we do. And Russia should be judged by what she is doing in in Ukraine. Uh, that's not a pretty a pretty picture. So. I also want to ask you what your assessment is of the Western response to Russian aggression so far. Uh, if you were to imagine that um, you know, you're advising the president of the United States or commanders in NATO, what would you say about what's happened so far and what might be done or could be done moving forward? Well, first of all, I, I think going back to what I said, what I said initially, um, when 
Russia did surprise many by, by, by starting a war in, in Ukraine eight years ago. Um, they did it little by little. I mean, they, 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 they took control of, of uh, they illegally occupied the Crimea and they took parts of Donbass. And with that, both of those territories, they also took control of a bigger part of, of Ukrainian maritime economic zones. So currently they are controlling 19.6% of Ukrainian territory plus uh, maritime zone under its jurisdiction. Doing that, um, I think they were not only laying the foundation for a very cost-effective war, they were also testing the resolve of um, the international community. In uh, 2014, they, the Western, Western um, world responded as we always do. You know, statements of concern uh, and sanctions. And, and then since 14, and when we imposed those sanctions, which was supposed to change the mindset, motivate Russia to do, you know, step back, Russia has increased its pressure on, 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 on the West. We've seen an increasing number of intervention in referendums and elections across NATO, European, European Union countries. We've seen uh, liquidation of Russians in, in uh, Europe. We've seen uh, immense war on, of information uh, and, and so on. Um, they have increased the, the, their aggressions and their belligerent language without having a proper response. So that said, I think it's time to step up and draw our own red line. Because Russia understand that. You know, they, they respond differently to escalation than we do. They, they will push uh, and challenge us until we push back. And then they will stop and reconsider what to do next. So we need to, first of all, we need to make sure that Ukraine do not fall. That Russia do not succeed in, 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 in Ukraine because we do not need to see a more, even more belligerent and, 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 um, and um, strong Russia, which will be the case if it win. We need to um, do some tough decisions, which we should have taken eight years ago. Now, the fact that we have um, delayed the, the increase in, in, in defense budgets you know, the decision in 14 was to increase the defense budget of our 10 years to reach the level we were supposed to be in 14. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> we need to build the coercion. Uh, and not the least, we need to make sure that we act not only by statement, but also act in coercion. Because at present, we are not. We are we're making the same statements. We are as, equally as concerned. But NATO as such do not act in union. Some nations, 12 nations, do support Ukraine actively. 18 do not. And, and that's, in my mind, is a sign of weakness. And of course, each, nations need to, each nation needs to get the acts together. I mean, I suspect Russia is not acting as it do because it sees NATO and the individual country as strong or united. They're doing this because over eight year, years we have shown weakness. And if we do have a look in, in different uh, nations, we see nations split. You know, there is uh, 
political um, issues, which is not uniting us at this very important moment of time where we need to sit together. If that in the United States, and we need to see Democrats and Republicans working together uh, and not <laughs> um, sabotaging each other's politics. We need to act as one, not only as a union, but also at the individual nations. And we need to demonstrate strength. Thank you. Thank you, Hans. I very much appreciate uh, you taking the time to speak with us. This has been a conversation with Hans Peter Midtun. Uh, I'm Dan Trelecki, and this is Ukraine Watch. Thank you so much, Dan. Ukrainska Nezalezhne Radio.